when our son Bailey was around 15, and that would have put me around 37 or 38, one night at the dinner table, we noticed that he looked a little disheveled. We asked several times, what's the matter? And got the universal youth answer, a mumble of nothing. But we pushed, and finally, Bailey said, well, Dad, this guy at school and I got in a sort of a fight today. I said, buddy, you're 15. What are you getting in fights about? He said, well, he kept razzing me about you. I said, me? Yeah, he's always saying stuff like, Bailey's dad is a preacher, and everyone knows that preachers are lazy, and preachers only work one day a week. And so we had a little fight, and he won't be saying that anymore. <laughs> I said, well, thank you, I think. And there was a pause, and then he said, Dad, can I ask you a question? Sure, son, anything. Dad, what do you do all day? And uh, my wife, Diane, said, yeah, I've been wondering that too. <laughs> well, it's a good question. Um, meetings. Ministers do meetings. And we do meetings. And we do some meetings. And there's a great question. Does the church do its great things in the world because of or in spite of our meetings? Yes, to both. A minister's life and some evenings are many one-on-one -on -one meetings, sometimes in your office, sometimes in a hospital room, sometimes in aisle seven at the grocery store. Hey, I see Reverend Bill, I, I've been wanting to tell you what I'm going through. Sometimes it's by uh, a tweet or an email, or a phone call, all kinds of one-on-one -on -one meetings that we have as pastors, and, and, and it's a part of our lives that we love. And then there's group meetings, planning meetings, and strategy meetings, and times when we are leading studies uh, in a room or on Zoom, and there are a lot of them. Well, it goes on and on, and there's a great tug of war in a minister's life uh, for time because there's the whole general world of pastoral care, congregational uh, relationships, things going on in people's lives from people joining the church, people going through difficulties, people going through good things. And that is a tug of war from one direction, and the other direction is always that feeling Sunday's coming. And if I'm going to have something to say that matters and doesn't embarrass me or the church, I need to do some more study. And so those two things pull at each other. And there's some other things. I, I, I want to say to you, uh, despite what my friend's son says, we usually work at least two days a week. <laughs> As our... Uh, church prepares for the coming of new ministers, uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor uh, Michael, who have the wonderful gift of getting to work with Pastor Maggie and Pastor Robert. What a team they will be. 
I wanted to share some things, kind of one foot in, in the, the minister-pastor world, but one foot thinking about what it means to be a part of the church family. Uh, for lack of a better term, I've used the phrase, the care and maintenance of ministers. The, uh, in the, the oddness of, of godness, ministers come and they go. And they are irreplaceable. That is, like all the people in our lives, each person makes their place in our lives. No one takes anyone's place. But by the wildness of God, we're able to make our own place. And so, uh, the places in your lives and your hearts that you permit the ministers who've been your minister, uh, that's all there. And the places in our hearts that the churches and the, the people of the church, they're, you're in our hearts. No one can take your place. No one will be able to take the place of any of your ministers in the past or the present or the future, but it's so wonderful that in just a few days you will have two new pastors that will make a place in your heart and will make a place in your lives and you will make a place in their lives. We are people who, uh, well, how can I say this? I was, I think in the third grade, before I figured out that Mrs. Orr, my teacher at Bush School, didn't just stay at Bush School just waiting for me and the other kids to come. I got surprised because one day I saw her in the grocery store. And I was thinking, why are you here? You're supposed to be at school getting the worksheets and the, the stories and the, the reading group uh, things done. Uh, it's it's important to, to know. I mean, you know this, but in a, in a way, it's helpful to think about. We were making kind of that point with the children today. Uh, ministers like us all are betwixt and between in their lives. Whether you're just getting started or you're way down the road like me, we're all betwixt where we've been and where we're going with our lives. Somewhere in this little place called the present and so uh, ministers who come, they're probably grieving just a little bit because they're leaving a place and people that they love and have loved them. But yet we human beings can do more than one thing at the same time. We can be sad, but we can be glad. And so I know uh, your new ministers are glad. They're excited to come. And if there's anything the way I have been along the years going to a new church, they're probably just a little bit scared but I know how you are they don't need to be scared they need to just get ready for a wonderful congregational relationship so no one takes anyone's place uh, uh, your friends don't take each other's place they make their place even when you you get a new pet they do not take the place of the one you have but they make their own place in your heart um, each pastor is uh, a part of, of a family. 
Have you ever noticed in families that families are sometimes like roller coasters? Ups and downs, and you've heard me make the comment before that in families are those people who we love the most are usually the people who drive us the craziest. And so your, your pastors have families. They're on the roller coaster with you. Your, your pastors are like you. They have some, uh, some good stuff in their life. They have some troubles they're working on. They are at some point in the, the, uh, the stages of life. They have some things that they're working on. They are like you and me. They are still in formation. God is not finished with any of us yet as we find our way with our faith and our life from here to eternity. So they come to do life with you and you do life with them. And what's good about it is real people doing real life together now despite what my son's friend uh, said in high school and, and by the way this isn't in the notes and I, I can they, they have big letters on the clock back there so I know what time it is uh, but, it doesn't, but it doesn't matter um, <laughs> I called my son this week and I said, I want to check a story I'm on you Sunday. And if it's generally true, tell me. If it's not exactly true, don't tell me. But I recounted that story. He said, yeah, Dad, that's basically it. And he said, you know, the crazy thing is years later, his wife, uh, Kelly, and, and Bailey belonged to First Methodist downtown. And he said, I couldn't believe it. When we came and joined First Methodist downtown, that guy and his wife or a member of the church and we sort of remembered <laughs> sidebar uh, anyway the, uh, the whole matter though of uh, a lot of things pastors do but the point I'm getting to eventually is that um, we're usually most known to you by preaching and I guess it seems a, a like a, a long time that uh, we, we pastors are doing a lot of talking. And uh, Paul uh, gave uh, the example of he, he as a pastor and, and the other pastor's name was Apollos and they had this sort of argument in the church there. Who, who was the most uh, effective pastor? And Paul really kind of chastises and said, you know, uh, one of us in the church may do one thing and one may do another thing, but the church is like a garden, and the pastors are, are like gardeners. And so one waters and, and one plants, but it's God who gives the growth. And so often, most of that time, that happens in the context of worship services where preachers seem to be doing all the talking and and my point I'm trying to make is that really preaching is a long conversation uh, preachers uh, when we do our work well and it's a wonderful work Sometimes it's fun, sometimes it drives us a little crazy, but we wouldn't do anything else. Part of our work is to try to pay attention to what we know and are learning about God through Scripture, through observation of life, 
our job is to pay attention to what's going on in your lives. The things that are thrilling you and scaring you and are, are, are challenges for you. We have to be honest with the things that we're wrestling with in our own lives. And oftentimes we're probably digging out of the same holes you're digging out of. And so when the time comes for a sermon, uh, it's a conversation. We're trying to share with you what we are experiencing and seeing. And in the great conversation, when preachers come, we're attempting to talk with you, not at you. Uh, there is this uh, great message that Jesus gives us in Matthew 25, where Jesus teaches us this uh, amazing cruciform dynamic to reality. Uh, a full faith, a full life has the vertical of relationship with God and the horizontal of relationship with others. In a way, it sounds threatening, but in a way, it's a beautiful promise. How you treat the least person is how you treat Jesus. Uh, if someone's hungry and we give them something to eat, if we worked to change the systems in our society so we do not have uh, people who are in fruit jeopardy, uh, if you visit someone in prison, it's like Jesus. If we do something to improve uh, the prison system, of our society. That's Matthew 25. If we do something for someone who, who needs a home, and we had our youth over in West End repairing homes this weekend, but if we do something about housing, if we help someone who is sick, if we help do something to have a, a health care system that makes life better, that's God's politics, friends. God's politics vertically cuts across all of our human politics. And that's not always pleasant, and preachers don't uh, just look forward to talking about things that sometimes bristle. But this is a part of the calling of the great conversation. Uh, this sort of strange oddness of Godness that sometimes through the uh, occasional uh, eloquent, most times awkward words of preachers that sometimes God's love and God's grace gets through to us. The great conversation of preaching is an honest conversation when we do it rightly, particularly in the Methodist way of understanding that you do not dodge in preaching the hard questions and the doubts that people struggle in their lives with. Why is life so wonderful but life so hard? Uh, we are not a church that goes in for dumbed-down, easy answers. You come in and we tell you what to believe. That's not the way we are. We search together for God's light. Uh, the God we know in Jesus gives us an intelligent faith, a heartfelt faith, a hands serving others faith and so in the great conversation uh, by God's grace we're finding our way from here to eternity thank you for being a part of the great conversation 
Moving along, there is this definition of a sacrament that goes back to uh, St. Augustine. A sacrament is a visible sign of God's invisible love and grace or presence. Like ordinary water becomes a visible sign of God's baptismal life affirming, life refreshing, life strengthening grace. Like bread and drink become visible outward signs of God's presence in Jesus that in those visible simple things of bread and drink God's love in Jesus comes to us again in this strange oddness of Godness sometimes God uses the the visible presence of most very all of us imperfect ministers to somehow be kind of a sacrament Ministers are are privileged sometimes uh, to be in many places in life where people are going through uh, tough times and big decisions and changes and births and deaths and and, and weddings and uh, new jobs and people going through times of difficulty and tough things. And somehow the visible presence, and this is not because of the particular innate goodness of the minister, but it's in this imperfect Minister who tries to show up, and sometimes I'm sorry we don't, we fall through the cracks. But when it works, somehow the minister's presence helps remind people of God's presence. Now, what I want to make sure you understand, and do you, do you remember Porky Pig? And this has a real relevance to religion, does it, Porky Pig? But he, he would finish cartoons with a phrase, and, and it was sort of a great philosophy, but I'm changing it. That, 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 that's not all, folks. In the United Methodist Church, we believe in the ministry of all Christians, the general ministry of all Christians. It's sometimes called uh, the priesthood of all believers. Uh, what that means is we clergy types honored and graced to be called for uh, ordained ministry. We are a subset of the general ministry of all Christians. And so when I say uh, ministers, I'm talking about all of you. The ordination to be a minister, the ordination to be a minister channel of God's love and presence in life, you know what your ordination is? Your baptism. You you all are ordained. (laughs) And think about uh, the beloved Sunday school teachers you've had. Think about the friends who've shown up when you were in a difficult situation. Think about the people who who show their faith in the competent, compassionate way they do their jobs and, and their profession. Think about the fact in your life there have been some people, maybe you didn't think about it at the moment, but you look back on it, and that person, because of their showing up, they themselves were a a sacrament, a a visible sign of God's invisible presence. And so when I talk about the sacrament of ministries, I'm not talking about just us, I'm talking about you all. Don't sell short the sacrament of you. Didn't have his 
much time, and I, I, it may seem I'm taking a lot of time, but I'm trying to weave my way through, uh, to talk as much as I would like to about the way Paul uses the, the metaphor of, of a garden. Uh, but I got to thinking about uh, several years ago, I was at this exclusive plant place, La Piggly Wiggly. And I saw this cute, uh, just getting started, little blooming hydrangea. And I decided that I was going to take it home to my wife, Diane. I don't know if it was a special situation or if I was in trouble again. But whatever, uh, I, take, I took it home, and she, in her wonderful way, tucked it in by a tree in our side yard. And from there, its troubles began. Uh, there is this brigade of weed whacker yard people that come through our yards occasionally. And we're supposed to pay a homeowners association fee for them to weed whack our flowers. And uh, it just did not almost make it. So Diane finally transplanted this little uh, uh, beleaguered uh, hydrangea into her beloved backyard garden. Can, can you show that picture? After two or three years of just kind of greening along, not doing much, I mean, this spring, like the little train that decided it could, the little beleaguered hydrangea hydranged. <laughs> and... Paul says, do you know what you are? Well, sometimes you're like a body with many parts playing its part. Sometimes you're like a building, but you're like a garden. Jesus talked about seeds and, and soil and lilies and, and grapes and wheat. We're, we're God's, God's garden. And uh, sometimes you can attest that life wheat wax you. It's hard to be bloomed by yourself. And so uh, you're part of God's garden here. And the ministers in some ways are gardeners, but Lord knows you garden us too. It works both ways. And so I, I say to you, uh, rejoice in knowing who you are. You're God's garden. We're all part of God's weedy, wonderful garden. Um, one more thing the, the phrase preaching to the choir usually refers to saying something that those to whom you're talking to already agree or maybe they even understand better than you do now here is a picture of our choir and you notice down on the right is Pastor Maggie sitting regally in the, the pastor's seat over there. And what I want to say is this whole congregation is the choir. Uh, for the couple of years that I have been here, when I'm preaching to you, I'm, I'm talking to people who, who get it. You understand that you are the faces of Christ in your life to people in this community. You understand how God enables us to be uh, part of the, the channels of his love with our resources and our volunteering in this world. 
You understand what it means to be God's garden, God's choir uh, that helps one another uh, live life and helps others in the world live life. And so as I complete my uh, chapter here, I want to say to you, when a new minister comes and joins the ones you have, this is a new chapter in the life of a church. It is an opportunity for a new chapter in your own life and faith. This is not a time to lean back and be a spectator. This is a time to lean in. I invite you to join me in using the several verses at the end of this passage because I got to looking at it and in a way this is what Bible scholars will say this is a kind of doxology and so I invite you to to read with me uh, Paul's doxology because I think it can be our doxology our praise to God from whom all blessings flow would you read with me So let no one boast about human leaders, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or the world or life, or death or the present or the future, all belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And so now, my brothers and sisters, sick them. (laughs) 